You guys can be seated. Uh, if we've not met yet, my name is Jesse, and I'm uh, really going to, I'm just going to lay it all out real quick. I'm kind of giddy today. I'm really excited. Uh, we've got a lot going on. I'm going to be, if you want to follow in your Bible, I'm going to be in Matthew 5. I'll uh, give you a chance to turn there, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, but before we do, I just want to say a couple of, uh, uh, not really housekeeping things, just like really exciting announcements. First, uh, let's talk about community groups. Um, I believe, uh, and it's even in the slogan, uh, that life happens better together. If you can get with other people who are just like you. And by just like you, I don't mean that they have the same job or even look and vote like you. I mean, they're like you and they just want their life to make sense. They want to they put one foot in front of another and make wise decisions in following the Lord. If that's you and you're like, I just wish I had a group of people that are trying to follow the Lord with me, I would suggest that you consider community groups. I would suggest that you look into that. There's some information in the hallway and then the outpost and on the app. The reason I'm bringing it up today is because it's not too late to join one. Uh, some of them have already begun meeting on Wednesdays, but they've only done like, hey, my name is this. And they did the weird icebreaker thing where they get like a colored M&M and had to say their greatest fear, whatever it was that they did for icebreakers. That means that you missed the awkward bit and you can get right in on the front end uh, and be a part of a Wednesday night community group. But also there are two groups that have not yet met. They're going to be kicking off this uh, week as they unfold. The first one is kicking off tomorrow. We have a Monday night group. So let's say your job is, you know, you can't work on, on or you can't show up on Wednesdays because you work uh, and you're looking for a group. Well, maybe Monday nights is the better group for you. Uh, and so they're meeting tomorrow night. And then we have another group that will be starting next Sunday morning. And you're like, oh, that's weird because we're in this building right now. Like, how can we have a Sunday morning group? Well, there's going to be a Sunday morning community group. It's going to meet in my office down there, and they're going to meet during first service. And so if you're interested in seeing where they're going to be studying, what those materials are, or you're just like, you know what? I, I'm free on Sunday mornings. I want to go to a community group, first service, and then come to second service. That's why it's there. So there's some information down the hall in the outpost, or just come chat with me later. The second thing I want to say is... Uh, super exciting because it's a surprise. Uh, two days ago, I didn't know we were having a baptism today, and today we're having a baptism. So you probably saw the tank of water, but Miss Molly Batiang is going to be getting baptized uh, this morning. And so here's what I want to ask you to do is that after we finish the, the message and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll close in prayer, we'll have the, the cue, but before you get in your cars, just make your way right out there because we're going to celebrate. Uh, when when uh, Scripture says that when one confesses the, the Lord as Savior, that all of heaven erupts in celebration. Well, guess what? We get to join in them, okay? We get to join in celebrating uh, in just a few moments now. It'll be like 20 minutes from now. So uh, if you've opened your Bibles, we are in chapter 5, and let's, let's talk about where we've been together. Last week, uh, we uh, threatened to start our own nation. We threatened to start our own country. If you were here last week, we looked at this idea that like, people have been trying to start nations all over the place. We have a, a couple of nations that exist inside the walls of the United States. If this doesn't make any sense, uh, just maybe go back and listen to it. But these, these people, they have like uh, citizens, 2,000, 3,000 people. We have somebody outside of Nevada who's declared war on East Germany, which is bizarre for so many reasons. And we looked at this idea, like, how do you build a nation? How do you start a nation? Um, because when we look at Matthew chapter 5, we have uh, Jesus giving what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason why we call the Sermon on the Mount is his location was on the side of a mountain, and he spoke a sermon. But the Sermon on the Mount is the first huge dialogue in Matthew. 
For the first four chapters of Matthew, Matthew has spent a lot of energy trying to explain that Jesus is the chosen king. He was the prophesied one. That's why we have the lineage at the beginning of Matthew. That's why we have the Christmas story. That's why the wise men are giving gifts to Jesus, because he's the chosen king. But in chapter 5, we see, well, what is this king going to be about? What is this message going to be? And I would like you to think of the Sermon on the Mount kind of the same way that we think of our Declaration of Independence. There was a moment in American history where Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin and, I don't know, Ben Roethlisberger and a couple other people got together, and they wrote this Declaration of Independence. They said, this is what we're going to be about, we the people. Um, and that document became kind of the, the driving force of what we now call America, but it was sloppy at first. It was, it was years of, well, who's going to recognize us as a country? There's, there's a lot of infighting. There was a war. A literal war was happening at that moment. But at the end of it, once all the dust settled, that founding document became the driving force, uh, the, the thing that, that flavored America, the America that, that we know right now. Jesus shows up on the scene. He's in a world that doesn't quite recognize him as king. And he begins the Sermon on the Mount, his manifesto, his declaration of what the kingdom is going to look like. And it's sloppy and it's messy right at first because it doesn't make sense. People are confused by what he's saying. Some people get mad and you know want to rise up against him. Some people are like, I've been waiting for someone to acknowledge me and to consider me as valuable. I've been waiting for that. Uh, yes, I would like to know more about the kingdom, but, but it, was, it was muddy at first. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount with these eyes of what, what is this kingdom that Jesus wants to uh, inaugurate, wants to celebrate, wants to, wants to plant here on this planet? And so if you would, I would like to just read uh, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We're repeating some of the Beatitudes, but it will make sense in a moment. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1, he says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Those who already trusted Jesus, those who wanted to hear more about him, came to him, and they listened. And he says that he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, you remember this from last week, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, when Jesus opens his, his very first uh, document, blessed are the poor in spirit, that is not the direction they would have expected the new king to go. The new king is like, hey guys, we're going to conquer Rome right now. Here we go. We're going to do this. We're going to conquer all of your problems. Who, who's the biggest problem in America right now? A new king is going to rise up, and the first thing they're going to say is, we're conquering that problem. And if you agree with them that that is the problem, we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, have that thing, you're like, yes, I want to go for that. But when Jesus opens his mouth, it's not, he doesn't start with strength. He starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Every culture has a uh, like a currency, a commodity, right? Uh, we trade in green paper and coinage, uh, silver and copper coins. Some of you have the fancy gold quarters, which I, I, don't, I don't know why there are gold quarters. When I was a kid, it was gold dollars, but the other day someone handed me a gold quarter. I'm like, oh, sweet. <laughs> they, they thought it was a 
quarter. It's a dollar. No, it was still a quarter, so I felt like I got ripped off, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, last week, we looked at the micronation that declared war on East Germany, uh, the one out of Nevada. The, he has declared his currency to be uh, the cookie dough currency. You remember that? Like His entire economy is based on the value of pa- Pillsbury cookie dough that you bought at Walmart last week. That's his entire economy. Uh, Jesus, his economy is based on uh, the poor in spirit, the meek, uh, those who are peacemakers, those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. He says that in his kingdom, these are going to be the values and the traits upon which we build and scaffold the rest of our community. So let me ask you this. Outside of financial currency, what kind of currency do we trade in? Outside of money in your pocket, what kind of currency do we trade in? Is it, is it not true that um, our different kind of social medias have different flavors, right? Uh, if, you're, if you're into Facebook, you're, uh, you, you know the, the kind of the arguing troll uh, aspect of Facebook. Someone's going to get on there and tell you why your view is wrong and why you should, you know, you should acknowledge their view as opposed to it. This morning I opened Facebook. I'm not going to say any names because uh, I'm not that kind of guy. Uh, there's a pastor uh, that is a pastor of a very large church. He's been a pastor longer than me. Uh, he has authored books. He's, he's a huge name. And he's arguing with people on Facebook over how, how to not argue with people on Facebook. He's, and people are like, hey, that's not how pastors should act. He's like, mind your business. Yeah, this is my Facebook page. I'll say what I want. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, uh, that's, that doesn't seem right for a pastor, but it does seem right for Facebook. Because on Facebook, if you are snarky enough, if you're sarcastic enough, if you're cynical enough, you get all the likes and all the follows. You get all the, all the things. Okay, let's, let's go to a different uh, medium. If you're, if you're into YouTube, uh, anybody, anybody's kids watch YouTube, like wall to wall? Your kids watch YouTube? Yeah, how many kids do you have? <laughs> oh, okay. All right, all right. He, he's, in, he's in sixth grade. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, my, my kids, they, they love YouTube. I don't know, I don't know what, it, when I watch YouTube, it's mind-numbing, uh, but I get it. Like, people who watch YouTube, the way that the currency is exchanged on YouTube is everything is the most exciting thing ever. If you put out a YouTube video and it's boring, bleh, you're going to get thumbs down. It's not going to, you're not going to monetize. It's not going to do anything. But if you can just, the most mundane thing, I found this rock. And then you come up with this amazing story and you're screaming. It's like, it's the greatest rock ever. And then it's like, it's the oldest rock in the world. And you just go on and on. And you just, it, how do you outdo yourself on YouTube? YouTube, the currency that trades on YouTube is, how do you just keep outdoing yourself in excitement and finding the next best thing? You're at like Aunt So-and-So's house and there's a pond and you have this whole story about how there's a monster in the pond and you're going to send your scuba diving buddy. You think I'm making this up. I'm actually quoting real YouTube videos I've watched recently. And it's just, why? Why? Because, here's why. Because the way YouTube is set up is that the more exciting you are, whether you fabricate it or not, the more valuable you are. And the way Facebook is set up is that the more sarcastic you are, whether you're quick-witted or not, the more valuable you are. The way that uh, I remember school being set up is the tougher you were and the less junk you took from other people, the more valuable you were. Uh, the, the way I remember uh, college life was the, 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 how, how you can put someone down. It's, it's a real, like a bunch of intellectual nerds, like, hey, let's argue some Greek or something. So we you know, just get together and yell. And at some point, it felt gross because at the end, the currency that was being traded at, at that stage of my life was, uh, if I can make you feel stupid, I'm more valuable. If I can make you look weak, I'm more valuable. Think, think about all the different stages in your life where there are different currencies being traded. And every one of them has this like toxic element. 
that, that we don't want, but we see more and more people gravitating towards. It's why, it's why people start to act and treat each other in the real world the way that has been so valuable in social media is because it's worked there to put people down because I'm a faceless troll and I can, I can tear you apart. And so I begin to treat people in the real world that way because the currency has taught me that this is valuable and this is how the world works. Except this one problem shows up is that when Jesus shows up on the scene and he, he is declared in Matthew as the rightful king, the one who has created all of the world, and he's here to say not how he hopes the kingdom will be. None of this is future tense when he does the Beatitudes. He says, this is how things really are. You want me to tell you what the currency that God is trading in, what God is hoping that we would trade in? It's these things. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those of us who approach the throne and we are bankrupt in ourselves and we have nothing to bring to God except ourselves, Jesus says that we're trading in that currency. That's to be valued. Blessed are those who mourn. When, when this world throws a curveball at us, uh, some of the currency in this world would say, no, you, you're not allowed to cry. You're not allowed to mourn that. Get over it. Put your big girl pants on and let's get to life, right? Except Jesus says, no, there's, there's, there's times when you mourn. Blessed are those who mourn for you will be comforted. The currency in the kingdom is that blessed are the meek. Not those who are like strong, I'm going to take over the world, but those who have strength that is in check and is, is you know, in control. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be gentle. Blessed are those who are gentle. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those of you, not who are so convinced you know the right way, and you're just yelling at everybody about what the right way is. Blessed are those of you who in, in the kingdom just look around and see this isn't how it should be. This is broken. This is wrong, and this is negative, and I hunger and I thirst for something better. And Jesus says, yeah, that's the currency that we should be trading in. Blessed are those who are merciful. You find reasons in this world that, that you're wronged, and somebody does something to you, and you're like, I'm going to kick him in the teeth. I'm going to get what's coming to me. And he says, that's not, no, 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 that's the world's currency. The world's currency is that if you're strong enough, you put them in their place. But the kingdom currency is mercy. Mercy requires something wrong happened, and you extend mercy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed are those of us, the currency that, that the kingdom is going to express here. Is, blessed are those of us who uh, we see the world on simpler terms. Maybe we're called naive. Maybe we're called too simple. Maybe, maybe it's just because we hope the best in people, but our heart is pure, and we, we, we expect the best in you. We assume that you're not out to get me, and I'm just, I trust, you know, maybe I'm going to get hurt by being pure in heart, but, you know, that's the currency that Jesus is going to celebrate. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who look at a world that's in conflict and tries to find some peace. When, when, I'm, I'm not wanting to repeat last week's message because I actually have something else I want to talk about, but, but it's important to note that when we look at the Beatitudes as the currency that is going to be in the kingdom, it is upside down from every other currency we've been taught. And we have to acknowledge that. We have to, like you and I, we have to admit, I was told to not show my fear. I was told not to show when I'm hurt. I was told not to show any weakness at all. And Jesus is saying that a lot of those things that we were taught are antithetical to the kingdom. And what he would prefer is that we were honest with each other and that we're honest with God. And we're just like, God, I'm, I'm just like we were just thinking, I'm, I'm bankrupt without you. My righteousness is nothing compared to what you've expected of me. I lean so much, therefore, on Jesus, and he is that much more sweet because of that. 
Now, so uh, when Jesus is teaching this, uh, he's up in the, the north area. He's around Galilee. If I can draw a map real quick, can I draw a map in the air? And I don't know. I don't have like a graphic of it. But imagine a, a circle here, right? And then a straight line down and a circle down here, okay? Down here is the Dead Sea. It's full of salt. It's bitter. It's everything. I, I used to have a bottle of Dead Sea water I got when I was in Israel. And it's funny because it's so salty that it, it's not, it doesn't, your, your tongue doesn't register as salt anymore. Have you ever licked a 9-volt battery and you got that like acid, like, ugh, you know? No? None of you? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I've got one honest person. Everybody else is like, no. Do you know like two people a year die from licking the 9-volt battery, which is a weird, uh, put that on a, I don't know, a tombstone or something. But uh, 9-volt battery, it's, it's like bitter and like acidy. You know, it, it shocks you. Uh, Dead Sea water is so salty. It's like having a, a handful of these 9-volt batteries. You're just like, oh, it's, it's so awful. But it's full of salt. And the reason why it's full of salt is because it has uh, just water just pouring into it from all directions, but it has no water leaving it. Okay, most, most bodies of water, most lakes have like, you know, I don't know, I don't know what the tissuary, I don't know, there's a word for like water flow, but anyhow, you have water flowing in and water flowing out. Uh, so the Dead Sea is down here. This line that we drew is the Jordan River. So Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, that's right, he was baptized in this line right here, north of the Dead Sea. And that north circle is the Sea of Galilee, that's the water that Jesus walked on, that's the water that Peter walked on, that's the water that Peter and all the others were fishermen of, that's where it was. This body of water, north, Galilee, is full of life, it's full of culture, it's full of uh, just an abundance of greenery. Uh, it's, where, it's where Jesus does most of his ministry that we're going to read about, and it's where Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount. He would have been doing this on the north bank, north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And right outside of this area that's called Caesarea um, is a uh, uh, military outpost. There's some Roman centurions, just they have, like, they have like a little garrison there, just in case someone invades over that north side. They've got somebody who can, who can warn them. And so when Jesus goes through this list of things, he's got this crowd of people, and they could probably see like in the distance like some hint of the Roman soldiers. And he's saying, hey, you know what? Um, there are people conquering the world. Remember how we were conquered? They're right there. Uh, but we're, we're going to trade. My kingdom is going to trade in a, in a different way. So we get to, well, what do we do with this, Jesus? Like he, he, he's opened his, his, with the Beatitudes, like the Declaration of Independence, he's opened with it. And he starts talking about salt. Verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. That's a good phrase. This is where we get the phrase, you know, when you're talking to somebody and they're just a really good guy, you say something like, man, it's just, oh, Bill, he's like salt of the earth. Like you just mean like something good when you say that. Jesus started it and Jesus was cool like that. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, let's talk about salt for a second. Uh, when, when he says that you're the salt of the earth, like what did, what did these people first think about? The crowd, the crowd that was with Jesus. We think of salt and we think of like, we've got our Tony Shasheries, we've got, uh, we've got like soy sauce, you know, we've got all kinds of things to make food salty. When they thought of salt, it was difficult to get. When I need salt, uh, I go to like Market Basket, I go to HEB, I get whatever salt that I want. When, when they need salt, they have to like, you know, refine it. They have to, they have to mine it. And there's like salt veins in the ground that they'll go like coal. Like we would mine coal, they would mine salt back then. Salt is used for uh, seasoning food. Uh, salt is, salt is good. Anybody have a, like a real like affinity towards salt? Maybe too much so? You just eat too much salt? 
No? Okay, I do. Uh, when, I, when I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to eat salt. Uh, my, my dad said, you know, hey, son, the salt's going to kill you. Uh, at the time, he, he is neither uh, a drinker or a smoker now, but at the time, he was smoking like three packs a day and drinking a case of beer a day, and he, salt's going to kill me. Uh, and so I wasn't allowed to put salt on anything, and so I would like sneak away and get into like the pantry and just get like spoonfuls of salt. Uh, just terrible stuff. Uh, but it was so good. I loved salt. Uh, salt, salt is so tasty. And he, and he, look, he looks at this crowd of people and he says, you're the salt. You're the salt of the world. You're the salt. This crowd of people were the groups of people that they were, they were weak. Uh, they were told their entire life from all the religious elites, you're the reason that the Romans are here. You're the reason our community is failing. You're the reason your family doesn't get along. And they've all gathered around Jesus and when Jesus starts talking to his disciples and he says, those who are my you know, citizens in my kingdom, Christians, um, you're the salt. You're, you're the salt. Salt was used as a commodity then. They would trade in salt. Uh, they had spice trails that are uh, the, the uh, not trails, not the right word, uh, trade route, spice route. And they, they would have like buckets of salt. They used salt to purify meat. Uh, they didn't have refrigeration, as you can imagine. Uh, and so they had these big open-air meat markets, and, and there's just like a big rack of lamb just hanging out in the open air. It'd be there all day long. You'd buy it at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Why is that still good? Well, it's because they packed it all in salt, and salt purified it and kept it, kept it good. And, and most of the time, you can just cook the nasty out of anything. So uh, you, can, you could eat it. Uh, salt... Yeah, I said that they mine it. When, when they took, took salt out of the water and they would just evaporate the water, the salt was pretty pure, but it was hard to do, as you can imagine. Like, you just get like a whole gallon of water and you let it dry in the sun, uh, and then you have just a few tablespoons of salt. It's not an efficient way of getting salt. So the more efficient way of getting salt is to find a salt vein in the ground and just mine it out. Uh, but the problem with that is that it has all kind of other impurities and it's still white. It still makes your food salty, but you have like magnesium and you have, you know, other, you know, gypsum. You have other things in the salt. If water, if your salt got wet, uh, salt is very, uh, what's, the, what's the chemistry term? Soluble. Uh, it dissolves in water real easy. What? Soluble. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. We're getting interaction. It's a good day. Uh, and so you have, you have this rock of salt that you mined out of the ground. Um, and if the moisture content in the air gets too much, it's going to dissolve all the salt the, the actual salt, the sodium, in this block. And now you have just a white block that doesn't taste salty anymore. And it's just like gypsum and rock and other things. And so Jesus says to him, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. You, you are the, the seasoning of the earth. You are the, you're the, the purifier of the earth. You, 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 you make things better and you protect things. But if it loses its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You know, it only loses its taste if, if it gets watered down. In, in, the, in the Jewish mind, salt had two functions. Um, salt was an example of the covenant, and salt was uh, something that purified other things. And uh, you can look this up if you want to take notes just to prove that you know, I'm not making this up. But Leviticus 2.13, uh, it talks about salting uh, the grain offerings. And so in, in Levitical law, the Jews in the, in the crowd would understand Levitical law much better than you and I. Uh, you had all these different offerings for different things. The grain offering is the offering that you give to God when things went really, really well. 
Okay, so let's put it in our context. You are praying for the new job, right? Or you're praying for this great thing to happen in your family. You're praying for this, this moment, and this moment comes to pass. It, it happened exactly as you prayed for it. Uh, instead of just forgetting about it and being like, ha-ha, I'm done with that, uh, we, we would say, hey, we need to thank God. We need to praise him. We need to say, man, thanks for coming through on, on answering that prayer. Levitical law says the way that you thank God is that you give a grain offering. And in the instructions for the grain offering, you would sprinkle it with salt. You would, you would take the grain offering uh, and you would make it salty. You'd make it, you'd make it a little bit better. In, uh, in, in Numbers 18-19, uh, uh, it talks about uh, the priests, those who had to administer the, uh, the sacrifices, that, uh, that they would be salted and then given to the priests and the priest's family. So you, you would have to sacrifice a lamb, let's say. That was, that was the day to sacrifice the lamb. The, the sacrifice would be done. It would be a religious moment. And then what happens to the meat that was just cooked on the sacrifice? Well, the priests would have a barbecue, and they would eat it, and their family would eat it. But, but specifically, uh, God's word says, and be sure to salt it. <laughs> like, put some salt on it, because nobody wants to eat barbecue that you didn't season. It's just like you know char at that point. But if you season it, man, it's good, because salt makes things better, and uh, it's a sign of, of God's uh, covenant. In Second Chronicles, it even talks about uh, a covenant of salt. This is, a, this is a covenant that we're going to show off by how much salt we throw around, and, and we trade in salt. Salt also had the effect of, of purifying things. Um, in Exodus 30, 35, it talks about seasoning the sacrifice with salt to make it pure and holy. That the salt had a, like a, a, a cleaning effect. In 2 Kings uh, 2.21, Elisha is called to the city. There's a well in the city. The city is great. Everybody loves the city, except the water is disgusting. It tastes bad. And some people who drink it, they die or have some other medical problems. And they're like, man, there's something wrong with the water, Elisha. What should we do? And so Elisha says, go and give me a couple of bowls of salt. And so they go and get Elisha some bowls of salt. And uh, Elisha brings the salt to the water. And he says, thus says the Lord. This water is healed. He throws the salt in the water. And the, the water stopped you know, killing people and stopped making, and it tasted better. It, clean, it cleaned it up. When Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, every bit of that imagery that I just said would just flash in their head right then, right, right away. And what Jesus is indicating to them is that those of you who have been called weak, those of you who have been called the problems in your community, or those of you who are in my kingdom, um, you, you're the salt. You're the thing that is making the community better. You're the thing that's making the culture around you better. You are purifying it, and you stand as an example of God's covenant with you. When he says that you're the salt, you, Carpenter's Way, when Jesus says that you are the salt, he's saying to you that you are standing as an example that God has not forgotten his people, that God is still in covenant with humanity. He has not given up on us. He's still willing to save us because he saved you. You're the salt of the earth. We walk around and, and we, we express these, these uh, characteristics, these, these uh, attitudes and by doing so, we're seasoning the world around us. But if we lose our saltiness, we just let it wash out of us. If we don't express it, um, we're, we're, we look more like the world, but we're, we're not uh, helping at all. Verse 14. He already said that we're the salt. Now he says this. You are the light of the world. Okay, so we went from salt to light. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And he gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Uh, any, any, anybody remember as a kid that you were helping your dad uh, on, on the car, right? And he's, like, he's got the flashlight in his mouth right here. He's got a wrench in like three of his hands. And there's like a, a, a tape measure in his toes. Like he, he's like packed down. He says, hey, son, daughter, I, I just need some help with the light, right? And he's like, here, put this light and just point it at the thing that I'm working on. And you do. Like right away, you're like... You know, boom, you're on it. And then you see like a butterfly or something and you just kind of, you kind of turn, you, you know that moment? And the dad is like, he's, 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 you know, elbow deep in the engine and, and like the light is gone. It was there and it was helping him. And then the, all that frustration, he meets, it's like, give, give me that light. And you're like, oh, sorry. Okay. And then you get right here and then like your buddy comes over and you just walk away again. And it, we, we, so quickly, we have the light on the project. We, we have the light on the goal. We have the light on the target. And then we're just distracted, la, la, la. And we wander off. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. People don't light lamps and they just put a basket on it. It frustrates you. Uh, it frustrates you if, if all of the lights go off in this room and you can't feel your way out. I told you guys a couple of uh, weeks ago that I had like this eye problem and I uh, still don't know what it is exactly, but one thing it's done is that it's changed my ability to see at night. If this room goes like to 20% light, you're good, I'm going to fall over something. I just trip and, and whatever. It's weird when, when what I thought was there is no longer there, right? It just, uh, yesterday I was in a public place and this lady was like kind of walking past me and she's in my left side, my peripheral vision, and it was kind of dark, so it's not my fault, but she got in front of me and I just like, hip checked her like like it was a hockey move i didn't know she was there and then all of a sudden like haha i'm being attacked she was just she was just trying to walk and he says you're the light of the world you know what it's like when we walked around when when there wasn't light when we just bumped into things we we are the source uh of light that is reflecting back into this world so that they can can see we're not trying to hide it we're not trying to put it under a basket we put it on a stand he says and he gives light to all in the house. One, one of the interesting things that Jesus says when he talks about this community as light is not everybody in the community is right there at Jesus' feet. Those at Jesus' feet are those who want to hear from Jesus. There are those who are in the community that they don't want to hear from Jesus. They're not there right now. But he says uh, in verse 15, put it under a bed, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Those, those right here that are in front of Jesus, as he says that, he says, you're the light of the world, and there are going to be people who aren't here to listen to me. There are going to be people who don't care about what I have to say who are going to benefit from you being the light. Everybody in the house benefits when you turn the lights on the house, whether or not they paid the electric bill, right? Yes? And some of you dads are like, come on, kids, turn the lights off. You don't pay the electric bill. Everybody benefits when, when the light comes on. When you and I, Carpenter's Way, when we are walking in the community... And we're doing this. We're being the salt. We're being the light. There, there is evidence of, of God at work in us, but there are those out there who care nothing about Jesus, and yet they also benefit from you. You are a blessing to them as a result of you just being the light. Now, we're the light in the same way that, that the moon is a light. The moon has no source of light of its own. It just reflects light. And so we uh, are reflecting the light of Jesus. Verse 16, what do we want them to see? What do we want people to see when they see the light in us, when they see our actions, our activities, and what we do? It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Awesome. 
Let's put a period there. Let's ignore the rest of that sentence, right? We just want to show everybody how great we are. We want to show everybody how awesome we are and like we know better and shame on you for not being a follower of Jesus and not acting like a follower of Jesus. No, no, no. That's, that's not the point. The point isn't that people look at us and praise us for our good works, but they see our good works. We, we do this life out in public and people see what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. They see it and they give glory to our Father in heaven. They see what God is doing in your life and they say, that, that God is, we're going to give him glory. We're going to give him praise. I want to uh, read real quick in, uh, in John. Uh, did I, do I, Barbara, do I have John that's going to come up right here? All right, John 1. I've got to remember if I put it on the screen. This whole idea of, of light uh, isn't just in Matthew, uh, but he describes John uh, as another disciple, and John describes Jesus using the same words about light. And he says this, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Our light, when Jesus says that you are the the light, our light is because he gave us life. Those of us in here who have confessed Jesus as Lord and we are made new creatures, we are are new creations, he has given us life. That's the source of light. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. If I turned all the lights out in this room and had one beacon of light, just one like little Christmas light right here in my hand, that's the only thing you would see. doesn't matter how big this room is. doesn't matter how dark. Like You can keep cranking the darkness down, but light always beats darkness. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah. The darkness has not overcome it. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear uh, witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. Not John the Baptist wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness about the light because Jesus is the light. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. Jesus shows up, and we're reading it on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus shows up to the world, and he is the light. He is the chosen king. He is the son of God, and he's saying, this is what the world is really like. This is how we created it. This is, this is what it was supposed to be. And the world looks at him and doesn't even understand what he's talking about. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. For those of us who have accepted the Lord, he says that that Jesus made it possible that we are called sons and daughters of God. And we, we share in this life. Verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of only a son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We, as followers of Jesus, have seen the goodness of who Jesus is, as only the Son of God can, full of grace, full of truth, and we're tasked to go and be representations of it. The exact opposite of like meek and uh, poor in spirit are the Christians who would just like mask shame people for wearing a mask or for not wearing a mask or vax shame for having a vaccine for not having a vaccine. Our speech should not be seasoned by what the world tells us is the talking point of the day. 
Our speech as Christians should not be seasoned about which political party is in the wrong or in the right. Our actions should not be seasoned by how strong I'm going to be in this moment. Because why? We have a responsibility to be the salt of this world, to prove to this world that God is still in covenant with his people, to prove to this world that God is still willing to rescue and to season and to protect and to purify this world and to be a light in this world, the light which is the the life of Christ in us. So that when people see us, they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Now, I'm not talking about any specific person here. In fact, I think Carpenter's Way is pretty great about it. But when I look at like Christianity as a whole, when I look on my social media, and I see all these you know, Christians I know from other areas, I see that pastor this morning who was just berating people for disagreeing with him, I think to myself, they're seeing your works, and they're giving credit to God for the things that you're doing, but it's not glory, it's, it's frustration, it's... Uh, disgust. It's, why is your God so mad at me for these things? And that's not our place, Christians. That's not our place, Carpenter's Way. We should be salt. We should be light. That saltiness and that lightness should be reflective of who Jesus is, not who the world says that we should be. A couple of things I want to say in in closing um, about, about God's kingdom. The first is this. The kingdom citizens... Uh, demonstrate that God is still in covenant with his people. Um, when, when, when Jesus said these words, uh, the only covenant the people knew was a cause and effect covenant. I sin, I have to, I have to get a sacrifice, and, and I have to fix it. And if I do this right, um, God's going to restore me, I think. Uh, if I do this wrong, I'm going to stay in oppression with Rome. And, and then they're looking around. It's been hundreds of years, and they've been in oppression this whole time. They've been in darkness this whole time. And they haven't heard from a prophet in so long. And God says, no, God, God still has a covenant for you. God still has a way of rescuing your people. Our community around you, uh, when we leave here and we go out in, into our, our places, uh, we're surrounded by people who have been in darkness for so long that they, they legitimately ask the question, does God still care? There are people out there who they believe in God, but they're like, I think, I think God forgot about me. I think, I think God's not listening. Part of our effect as saltiness, being the salt of the world, is that we demonstrate that God is still in covenant with his people. Therefore, your life, my life, uh, signals to others that God has not forgotten us, that we're not left alone. This is why Jesus is, is this name that we sing, because Jesus is the, the focal point of, of this covenant and the source of any goodness uh, you're going to see in me or, or many of us. The second thing, is this is that kingdom citizens function to purify and heal their community. Uh, one, one of the inarguable uses of salt was to you put it you know in wound to, to help clean it. You you purify sacrifices. You you use it as a healing agent, as a as a balm to make things better, not worse. Uh, salt was good in the ancient world. It was not bad. Um, part of our saltiness. Part of, part of you and I living this out, being kingdom citizens, should be that we make our community better as a result of our actions, as a result of our attitudes, as a result of our speech. That we heal, not hurt. That we soothe, not instigate. The pastor I read this morning, he was instigating arguments with people. Uh, it, 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 there's, no, there's no way around that. That's unbecoming. It's not very salty. Uh, which is funny because, like, if someone has a bad attitude, what do we say about them? Uh, you, you kind of, that sucker is kind of salty. 
You're feeling kind of salty about that, aren't you? Well, that's, that's backwards. So the third thing is that kingdom citizens stand um, as a beacon of light in a sea of darkness and hopelessness. I'm, I'm uh, heartbroken. I'm, I'm not surprised anymore, but it, it, it's, I'm always reminded how hopeless our community is, how hopeless I see people are, how hopeless your friends in school are. Um, and it's not just because like we know better uh, or we're smarter or, you know, somehow or like that. It's, they just have no hope. They've been trading in the commodities of the world for so long that they feel like it's just, I'm not getting anywhere. There has to be a better way. When we stand as, as beacons of light, we stand in a community in a world that is extremely dark. And it doesn't matter how, how big your light is or how powerful your, your platform is or what you think you know. It, it doesn't take much light to overcome darkness, a dark room or a dark hallway or dark place and work. Therefore, we should not hide our lights. Uh, you know, Jesus talked about putting the light under a basket. Uh, your dad talked about you moving the light off of the job site and how annoying that was. Don't hide your lights and you should live wisely as one whose actions point to the source of light. Now, whether you like it or not, uh, and, and there are times where I get all up in my flesh and I don't like it, I don't want people to see some of my actions as what I think God is like. You know, you cut me off in the street, or the lady who you know, stepped in front of me, I thought she was attacking me, uh, but she just got in my blind spot, I guess. Uh, you know, when, when I jump or when I'm mad, I, I don't want those to point to God, but I don't get the choice in that. As a citizen of the kingdom, my actions point to the king. I should be wise in my actions, my choice, my speech, and my attitude towards you and towards others because you're going to credit that to the king. When Jesus said these words, he's talking to a group of people that had lost all um, faculty of influence. They no longer believed they could make a change. They no longer believed that they could do anything. They felt like it's a done deal. And he says these words and says it's not done. The path back is to take on these, this currency, these beatitudes. Take on this, 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 um, this attitude amongst yourself. Stop trying to change things by force and dive down into we're, we're poor in spirit. We're bankrupt, and all of our richness, all of our hope comes from Jesus, and so let's reflect that back to our community, and that's where things change. You want to see uh, Groves, Port Natures? You want to see Mid-County as a whole? You want to see it change? It changes not by our force. It doesn't change by our intellect. It changes by our ability to reflect Jesus back out. Let me pray, uh, and then uh, you will be uh, watching the queue, and then we're going to go and celebrate a baptism. Don't forget, we're going to be right down the hall, so you can exit here, or exit down there, but uh, we're going to go straight to that right after the queue. Let me pray for you. Father, uh, this morning I pray, um, Lord, I pray your blessings over uh, Carpenter's Way and uh, all these folks. I pray your blessings over those who are at home right now. Uh, Father, I pray that you would remind us and you would revive in us um, that feeling of light, that feeling of life, Father, that you would take a, a heart of stone and you would make it soft again, and that you would turn it back towards you. Lord, as we, as we begin to, to think and ponder on your kingdom and how we should act and behave as a result of being citizens of it, um, may, may we be good beacons of light. May people see what we do and what we are about and uh, give you glory and uh, magnify your name. We thank you for Jesus, uh, that he's made a way and that his life is our only source of light. And so may we, may we reflect it well. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.